Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to rearrange a little bit up here. Well, we're going to be Matthew chapter 16 this morning. We're taking a, a break from our current series, By Faith, and we're having just a special moment to thank God for His faithfulness to this church family. And it's really a movement of God. We're called that, sung out that He's a way maker, miracle worker. And I think what can be lost on Sunday mornings, every time we gather, it's a miracle what God has done here. It just is. And so what we're going to be looking at this morning is Matthew chapter 16, specifically starting in verse 13. Let me ask you this. Did you know that you did not come to church this morning? You didn't come to church this morning. You're like, wait a second, but someone invited me to church and I actually came, and we mean I didn't come to church. Words matter, right? And we always go, we're, we're going to church this morning, get ready. Kids, you're late, get in the car, we're going to church this morning, right? Like, take your breakfast with you, putting your makeup on on the way to church, these things that we do. But it's a good reminder that the church isn't a thing to do, a place to go to. It's a people we belong to. We are the church. You hear this phrase before we end again this morning. We are the church. And that matters a whole lot. Because it's a people that we're called to belong to. I get this question asked periodically when I'm around other pastors and church leaders. And it makes me cringe every time because they'll ask, how is your church doing? And I get the question. I understand what they're getting at. But what I want to make clear this morning is that this isn't Pastor Josh's church. It is Jesus' church. It is. And if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Jesus' church. That's what we're going to reflect on. So as we have this chance to remember God's faithfulness, we need to be reminded on whose church this is. Because it matters a whole lot. This is Jesus' church. Which takes us to Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, and that's important, he's having this conversation with his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And that's a reference referring to himself. So he's asking, who do people, just in general, say that I am? That's a good question. It makes me think, even today, the same question is being asked or needs to be asked, who do people say that Jesus is? If you've been around this faith family for any amount of time, you know one of my favorite quotes come from C.S. Lewis, from Mere Christianity, written in early 1950s. Because I think he answers this question in a way that I cannot. He says this. He says, I'm trying to help, or here, to prevent anyone saying the really foolish things that people often say about him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is one thing that we must not say. A man who is, was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man that says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him as, and call him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. I can't say it any better. That's what we hear, right? Maybe he's a good person, great teacher, maybe even a prophet. He was none of those things. None of them. He was Lord and God. But unlike the many 21st century people, at least the first century people, when they heard about the miraculous things that Jesus had done and were doing, were spiritually minded enough with their spiritual speculations about him to answer in a, a different way. Verse 14, it says they, this is being the disciples, they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So these are speculations, swirling speculations that are going around about Jesus because they heard all these things or seen some things that he has done. But a couple things that are noteworthy about these men that were mentioned, the possibilities of who Jesus was, was one, all these men were men whom God had chosen to be his mouthpieces, to speak directly through. Two, these men were thought in some ways to be the pave, the path paver, way maker, forerunner to the coming Messiah, Christ. But cutting through the swirling speculations and misconceptions, Jesus then asked the most important question that can be asked. It comes to verse 15. Because he shifts from people and he says, but you, he asked them, the disciples, who do you say that I am? And this is the most important question that's ever been posed, ever. This is the one question that every person everywhere will answer either passively or actively this side of eternity. It will. You can either try and deny it and hide from it and not answer it or answer it directly, but everyone does answer this question. Who do you say that I am? It's interesting. Any baseball fans? Baseball fans? I'm telling you what. So no football fans, no baseball fans. I'm going to get a sport that someone likes here. All right? Pickleball? Yeah. I don't have any golf references. Baseball. I'm going baseball anyway. I prepared for baseball. You're going to hear about baseball. You're going to learn something about baseball. Okay? Baseball. So they incorporated some new rules this year which for some people that are a little more impatient like myself, appreciate. Because it can be a long game. So they put a, basically a clock. So the pitcher has 15 to 20 seconds, depending on whether it's people on base or not, to pitch the ball. Right? It's a good, good rule. The batter has to be ready to receive the pit, pitch in the box, ready position, looking at the pitcher by the 8 second mark. Okay? So, that means if the pitcher does not pitch within 20 seconds, if bases, people are on base, then a ball is given to the batter, right, in the batter's favor. If the batter's not ready by the eight-second mark, looking at the pitcher's ready to hit, a strike will be given to him to favor the pitcher. Everybody following that? Why does this matter? I'm glad you asked. In a preseason game recently, the Red Sox and Braves were playing this game. Bottom of the ninth. The game was tied 6-6. The count was full, 3-2, right? So the pitcher's getting ready. The batter's getting ready. Base is loaded. 
Bases loaded. The batter was not ready at the eight-second mark. And so what happens? The strike is given. The game is called. The game's over. That's it. He wasn't ready. And when I heard this, I'm like, what a great illustration. At least I think so. So if you don't, just bear with me. This question, who do you say Jesus is, is a question everyone has to answer, either actively or passively, but there is a clock. There is a limit. And unlike the 22nd, 8-second clock that is known, we don't know when our clock is up. Either we are going to go face-to-face with Jesus, or he's coming back, but either way, before that event happens, you have to answer, who do you say Jesus is? And a not answer is an answer. That is a denial of Jesus. And that leaves us in the condition that we were born in, sinners in need of a Savior. This question, who do you say I am, is the most important question that has ever been asked. And as he talks to them and looks at his disciples, in other words, he's saying, he's saying do you believe what I've said and shown you about who I am? Whether in good seasons Who do you say I am? Whether you're going through bad seasons, who do you say I am? In any and all seasons of life and circumstances, who do you say that I am? That's what he's asking here. And just a a note, because I hear the phrase that my, my faith is shaken when something goes wrong. And as with as much love and grace and kindness as I can, and hopefully you hear it from this avenue, if your faith is shaken, by difficult situations, this is a check engine light for you that maybe your faith is aimed in the wrong direction. Does that make sense? Your situations and circumstances do change. We know that. They will change. They are changing, but God does not. He remains forever faithful. He says in Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord, I have not changed. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So though your circumstances change, and maybe not in your favor, God does not. He remains forever faithful. And so considering this, we know that Jesus is worthy of your trust because he is trustworthy. So the question is, do you trust him? Because this is what faith is. As faith is put into action, what your mouth is saying. Do you trust him? Do you believe him? Do you have faith that he is who he said he is? And so leave it to Peter, the disciple that tends to speak first, foremost, and most frequent. Anybody have one of those friends in your group? Always has something to say. This is Peter. He's the guy in that group. And you know, if you talk long enough and most frequent enough, you're going to stick your foot in your mouth pretty often. That's what he does over and over again, as you see through the counsel of the gospel, I personally find very encouraging. But this time he nails it. Verse 16, Peter, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that statement, you are, is so important because that's what faith is. It's not, I think, or you might be. You are. You are who you said you are. Don't write that down. You are. 
In other words, Peter is saying that among all the speculations and misconceptions, you're not the one before the one to come. You are the one that we're waiting for to come. You are the one that Genesis 3 pointed towards with the crushing of Satan's head. You are the one that the Passover pictured when bringing forever forgiveness. You are the one that Isaiah prophesied when he wrote, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was on him, and we are all healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep, and we have all turned our own way, but the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. You are the one that John rightly called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You are the bread of life. You are the true vine. You are the light of the world. You are the gate for the sheep. You are the good shepherd. You are the resurrection of the life. And you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are who you said you are. That's what Peter's saying. And this is what faith is. You are. To which Jesus then makes the point that neither academic excellence nor the pinnacle of intelligence can produce this statement of faith. It was God's revealing that led to Peter's believing. Look at verse 17. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. This is so crucial. Facts do not produce faith. Facts do not produce faith. I've experienced personally in my life. I didn't finally come to faith and surrender my life to Jesus as Lord of my life until I was 20. But I'd heard the message about him plenty before then. I wasn't raised in church, but I've been around it. And the scary part is I thought me and God were good. Yeah, I know about him. Sure, I believe there's a God. But I didn't know him. I've been around other people that have plenty of questions. Their questions are good because there's answers. Wondering about faith, but are afraid to ask because we used to think we have a blind faith. We don't have a blind faith. We have a very much facts-based faith even. But then even when you give answers, you can answer all the questions for an unbeliever. It doesn't mean that believe. Answers aren't the issue because there's answers. I mean, I can tell you how the Bible itself, if you start just believing the Bible, what the Bible says. The Bible itself, I can tell you, that was written by over 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years, three different continents, continents, yet one harmonious, completely consistent story from Genesis and Revelation. Only God can orchestrate that. I can tell you that Jesus fulfilled over 300 different prophecies about the Messiah himself within his birth, life, burial, and resurrection. I can tell you the same standard of measurement for any ancient historical documents for reliability that we use when applied to the Bible, when it comes to the copies of manuscripts and the time frame from which they were wrote, written, from the events themselves happening are so short, that is well more, way more reliable than many of the books that we don't even question that are taught in our universities and colleges. I can tell you all that, but it doesn't matter because that doesn't produce faith in you. It may firm up some of your faith and some questions you may have, and there's good to know these things, but I can try to give you apologetics and reason with you all day long, but it will not penetrate the hardness of your heart. Only God himself can do that. And here's the crazy part, that some of you, and some of you listening and hearing and people I've spoken to, God is wooing you. 
come to me. I'm trying to show you. And he's working. He's moving people around you in situations and showing how much he cares for you and loves you so you can turn from worshiping yourself to worshiping him and trusting him. And yet you won't do it. For various reasons. One, I don't want to give up stuff that maybe I like. Right? I don't want to give up this activity or this people or these two things that make me feel good. Or maybe I'm afraid what people will think about me, whether family, friends, or someone else. Either Jesus is who he says he was, or he is a liar and a lunatic. That's what you have to answer. In the day, facts don't produce faith. In John 6, you see this. You see that Jesus had this movement, and people were just coming to him because they liked what they saw. They liked what they heard. They liked these things that he was doing. Until he started teaching things that they thought were hard. In John 6, it says, From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Why? Because their head never connected with their heart. And I love what God does with numbers sometimes, because that passage out of John 6 is John 6, verse 66. 666. I don't know. You do whatever you want with that. But they turned back and no longer followed him. Which leads us to verse 18. He's going off of flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Verse 18, he continues, And I also will say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And this is where we're going to camp out for just a moment. So all this was this intro, now we're going to get to the sermon. Is that good? Everybody good there? All right. Here Jesus used a play on words. He says, you are Peter. Peter means Petros, means rock or even pebble. I lean towards pebble. Maybe there's a, a little punch at him. But really, he's saying, listen here, rolling stone, you weren't meant to be alone. That's what he's saying here, Peter. Because he transitions from Peter, meaning rock or pebble, to upon this rock, which is Petra, meaning rock bed or quarry, a rock quarry. Speaking of his disciples, Upon this rock I will build my church. So among them, on this faith statement that was given by his faithful followers, Jesus was going to start building his church. And don't miss, I will do this. Remember, God is unchanging, forever faithful. So when he says he's going to do something, he will do it. I will build whose church? Jesus' church. My church. The church there in the Greek is ekklesia. means called out. Or assembly. So in one instance, the church, universal, every Christian everywhere, are called out from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light, from dead to alive, called out to be separate, holy people. But they're called out to be called to an assembly of local body believers. It's been said this way, you got God's kingdom expanding, and he establishes local kingdom outposts within every community. But then he says this, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I love this. These are promises. I will, this will not. And the gates in ancient times, cities were surrounded by walls with gates. And so when they were attacked, where would you attack? The most weakest structure of the whole wall would be the gate. So they attacked there. So the gate would have been, symbolized the strength of the city. 
The protection of the city was determined by the strength of those gates. And so it says the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And Hades being this place of death or death itself is represented by this mighty city with gates representing its power. And so this is important. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. One, it's important because gates don't attack anyone, right? Here we are thinking we're in spiritual battle, which we are, but we feel like we're going to be attacked all the time. We're the ones doing the attacking. Like we have more power than we even know what to do with because of who Jesus is and what he did in the life of everyone who believes. So I'm tired of hearing us. We get our butt kicked every single day, every, every single week because we're so passive in our faith walk. How about we start living boldness that Christ has for us. The same power that resurrected Christ is powerful in you? We forget. We forget that. That's not even in my notes. This is why sermons go so long. The two points that were representing this Hades is one, Jesus is picturing his coming crucifixion and death, and burial, but his eventual resurrection, conquering death. That's for sure one. The gates of Hades will not overpower it. Number two, this is important. Even though worldwide the current death rate hovers around 100%, if my latest research was accurate, even still, Jesus is building his church and will continue to build his church with a continuing mission in obedience to his great commission in advancing the gospel and pushing back darkness. And it will continue to happen. The gospel will continue to spread and go forth. People will continue to believe until all groups of people have heard the gospel. Why would you say that? Because there's so many people groups that are still left unengaged, unreached, having heard the hope that's in Jesus alone. Well, Jesus said it. Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus says, This good news, meaning the gospel, of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations, all people, groups, or groups of people, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. Jesus will return. But God's patient. And his church is prevailing. Even when it doesn't look like it or feel like it, we miss a lot of mighty movements of God because we just don't know about them. We referenced a little bit last week the movement of God in China, Iraq, Middle East. Jesus builds Jesus' church through Jesus' followers with Jesus' obedience to Jesus' command until Jesus returns for Jesus' church. This is what Jesus does. And this is what Jesus is doing. And it's important to know that when Jesus was walking the earth, he didn't come. His mission wasn't to evangelize the world. That was not his point or purpose for his mission. His mission was for sure to save the world through him by paying the penalty for sin and death. So whoever would believe in him would have that apply and have life and forgiveness for eternity. And enjoy the relationship with God the Father that we're created to have in the first place. That was for sure his mission. But secondly, he came to disciple a few. Who then would go, disciple a few. Who would then would go to disciple a few. Disciples make disciples. It was always about multiplication, even since Genesis chapter 1. God created a man and a woman and said, be fruitful and what? Amen. Spreading God's glory. Image bearers for his glory spreading throughout the earth. 
Multiplication has always been the plan. It's because God is worthy of worship. So think about why. We talk about missions a lot. International missions, local missions, whatever it is. The primary purpose missions exist is because there's places where God isn't being worshipped. Point blank. That's why. Because God's worthy of worship. And so we're to worship him. But also, secondly, really one point B, because we need him. People need him. We need him. And then we see the church start being built. And this is important. Because you see Jesus in the accounts of Acts. He was resurrected. He walked the earth for another 40 days before he ascended in front of many witnesses. And then you see the church start developing, actually being the church. His disciples going, proclaiming the gospel, people believing. Disciples gathered, leaders appointed, and then reproducing. For easy reading, look at Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch. Churches sending to produce more disciples so people can believe. It is God's plan A for people to know the hopes in Jesus. And I had a great question this past week talking about foreign missions and some confusion maybe sometimes that can be around. Like we pray for the unreached and we're saying we need to go and tell people about the gospel. And this isn't like we go and try to forcibly make people believe. You can't do that. But we sacrifice our own comforts and our own stabilities to go to proclaim the gospel because we believe what the Bible says, that faith comes from what is heard. What is heard, the message about Christ. The Romans 1.16 says the power of salvation is through the gospel. So there's only one way people can believe is through the gospel. So we go and sacrifice everything for the sake of the other, proclaiming the gospel. And that's what the church did. But if I can come to one passage to show the function of the church would be our Acts chapter 2. So when we think about what the church is, local churches, Acts chapter 2 is a great spot to start. In verse 42, it says that they, that means all the believers that were represented there, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. And it says everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together, and held all things in common, and they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. And this is so fascinating because what we see here as a local church is supposed to look like that we hold one another tightly, that means unity, and hold our possessions lightly, that means generosity. Verse 46, it says, Every day they devoted themselves to the meeting together in temple and broke bread from house to house, meaning this is more than a Sunday morning activity. Yeah, that our Western culture, we have just put it in this little Sunday morning box, and that's not what church is. That's not what the church does. It's a function. It's a necessary function. But it's not the only function. We do life together throughout the week. It says they ate food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all people. And then it says in verse 47, every day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. And that's so crucial for us to get. Because what we see is a compelling community compelled by Christ. That means believers do what believers do. We do life together in front of people, and then we tell people about the life that we enjoy because of the life given Jesus Christ. And this is a crazy thing. This is crazy, right? Say you're going to go proclaim the gospel this week, and there's people out there actually ready to believe it. 
It's wild. I got to spend a couple days recently with some missionaries that went out in our area proclaiming the gospel, and we had many, many people come to faith. Can you believe it? Your answer should be yes, because it's in the Bible. We believe the Bible. You sure? She said, yes, you believe it, because you experienced personally. There's one point in your life, everyone in here, that you were a sinner, still in need of a Savior, completely denying Him. Until a point that God stepped in and radically changed your life and you believed. That's all of our story. It looks a little different. That's all of our story. Unless you're still stuck in the unbelief part. Jesus is still in the building business. Choosing to build his church through faithful followers. And this is exactly what we're celebrating today. That Jesus is building his church. And specifically, this faith family that we affectionately know as the Way Church. And so I just want to take just a minute to celebrate some of God's goodness while looking back and looking forward together. So if you're a first time here or newer to the Way Church, what a great Sunday to be here. Because we're just going to celebrate what Jesus has done. Going all the way back to the beginning, three years ago, March 1st, 2020. This is one of my favorite pictures. Not because I'm in it. That really, it'd be better if I wasn't. It's because that message hasn't changed. This is why this church was established. Because there's many people that do not know that Jesus is the way. March 1st, 2020, we started at Godwin High School. A culmination of a year straight plus more of planning and preparation. And finally, we just get to this service that we finally all come together, the launch team and all of our friends and family celebrate our first public worship service. And man, we enjoyed the life of this being at church at a church and gathering together at Godwin High School for three full weeks until March 15th happened. Remember that time frame? COVID hit, changed everything. And what the best thing that happened to this church was all of our perfect plans went out the window because nobody has a a notebook, a playbook for what to do in COVID. You don't get trained for that. But it's the best thing that happened to me. Because you had to no longer rely on your perfect plans, but on the Lord himself, who is the builder of his church. And so the rest of 2020, many of you remember, we spent in parking lots from the March 29th till mid-October. We're worshiping in a parking lot. So it started out looking a little something like this, very structured and oriented, which really... It warms my heart seeing that. Just the structure and the, the, does my heart good. But we're standing on the back of a pickup truck with a couple speakers and FM transmitter. That's our worship leader, Jenny, right? Many of you remember this. And the fun part was, it started out looking like that first picture where it was all structured and people stayed in their cars. But after a period of time, it started looking more, we called it drive-up church. It really looked like drive-up tailgate. This is what it looked like. We had coolers and tents, and it was a, it was a party out there. We were sitting in control, reverently, of course. But what a great time to see, in a time that we were called, commanded to be socially isolated and distant, God was building a church, gathering a people. Until about mid-October, we moved into the place, which was so nice, because now we enjoy comforts like restrooms. It's amazing. Air conditioning and heat. And it's funny because only God could do what he does, right? But he has a sense of humor. Like, nobody could write this. Like, it's the, play, the, the way at the place. Could you be any more generic? 
and non-exciting. Yes. In 2020, we also didn't stop outreach. We started partnering with Courage to Care Outreach and Inner Richmond. And we did this, God did this amazing thing in that year of giving us a ministry to area frontline workers to where we were able to provide over thousands, thousands of lunches to area hospital frontline workers in the name of Jesus. And then going into 2021, we went from being receiving financial help from area partner churches to being self-sustaining, which is an amazing movement of God in the life of any church plant. Like, we have a goal, full transparency. If we can just be self-sustaining financially by three years, that's a movement of God. But when we start looking at our finances, God had had us self-sustaining the whole time. And so God had us transition from receiving financial giving from various church partners to be able to then start giving to see churches established in 2021. So we started financially partnering, giving to the Way of Grace Baptist Church in Puerto Rico to see them planted, who are now just over two years old. We started giving to Impact Church in Fredericksburg to see that church established there, who is now just over one year of age. Something only God could do. That year we took our first mission trip to Puerto Rico. We started seeing some real traction of area outreaches on our spring and fall festivals where thousands of people started coming. Movements that only God himself could create. And then we come into 2022, this last year. We continue with partnerships with Impact Church and the Way of Grace Baptist Church in Puerto Rico and Courage to Care Ministries. We continue seeing traction and fruit of a community that we're loving on with the spring and fall festivals. Again, thousands of people coming. We also have the opportunity and privilege to train over 100 new pastors and planters in a very hostile area of the Middle East. Because many thousands were coming to Christ and be baptized. They needed more church leaders, so we were part of this church training conference. We had the opportunity to rescue many children out of the captivity of poverty through our Compassion Sunday initiative. God continues to do amazing things through the life of this very young church. Your testimony to it and the things he has done is evident that he is moving and working. And so we look back to continue to look forward to now we're in this new year and we're still going to push the pedal on the accelerator of what God's doing in our lives. I love, I met with our treasurer, our stewardship team treasurer this past week. And I love when people quote my own words back to me. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah. Because I use this phrase, and it wasn't unique to me, but when you look at the church in the Bible, which is where we should start, it's always a good place to start, money didn't stop at the church. Finances didn't stop at the church. It flows through the church. And so as we're evaluating our finances, and God's been very gracious to us, in some ways, it's starting to look like money's starting to stop at the church. That ain't good. That's important for us to know. Because we're going to continue ministries, partnerships with Impact Church, the Way Grace Baptist Church, Courage to Care. We're going to continue with the Fall Festival coming up in October. We're going to continue with our mission trips. We're taking two to, to Puerto Rico this year. April 11th is the next one coming up, and it's not too late for you to join in on that. The next one after that will be in October. But we're going to continue to start new partnerships. Because even though we may be smaller in size for now, we're not small when it comes to the power of God, what he can do in and through us. 
And so we're continuing to be generous and look for new partnerships. We're going to start new partnerships with a ministry called the Fix Ministry. We've had people and families come through this church that are part of being ministered by the Fix. It's, it's a recovery ministry for addicts, but it's gospel-centered. And they're actually planting a fixed chapel, a church, out of this ministry as well. And so we're going to partner with them. Our men's ministry is planning to go down there on Saturday to help build and fix up this, this building that they were given to plant this church in. They're going to come visit us May 28th. Don't miss that Sunday. Because folks from this program are going to come, they're going to hear testimonies of God's grace and salvation in these lives and just the bondage of brokenness that the gospel brings. And they're going to help lead in worship that day. We're going to start new initiatives with block parties. So in this, instead of spring fo- festival, we're going to come to you. Like if you want to reach your neighbors, let us help you, finance you, give you some resources, and let's throw a party to start some relationships in your neighborhood. Give you opportunities to start establishing relationships for the sake of the gospel. We have the privilege this year of training and sending new missionaries. We have a a family that we sent out in the coming months, Lord willing. And we'll be sending to Kenya. And so we're sending missionaries to Kenya with the intent of then going visiting and working alongside them. So that will be coming. And when it comes to missions, the goal is to proclaim the gospel. People that believe we disciple. But that's not where missions stop. The end of missions is planting churches. That plant churches. That plant churches. This is God's plan A. And so that's our thrust. And so what are we doing now? How are we planting churches? One day, we're going to be taking steps to continue to train up leaders to be able to send out from our local faith family. But until we can do that, we're going to partner with new works to see churches established. And so a couple weeks ago, I went down to Hampton Roads area. Heavy military area, mainly naval personnel. A Navy base, one of the biggest in the the country may be the biggest. And so I started thinking, what if, what if we can equip men and women in the military with the gospel to then be sent out with the gospel on the military's dime? Pillar Church is coming to Norfolk, and that is their mission. They're being planted this fall. They're moving down there this spring, this family to see a church established within the Norfolk community to reach military personnel. You're going to be hearing a lot more about this, but we're going to probably consider pushing the generosity accelerator and start giving to this church also. So we'll be talking more about that and praying about that together. There's another church coming here locally, Providence Community Church in Bonaire. They've worshiped with us. Another area that's lacking gospel intentionality in gospel-centered churches. How might God use us to help them? Here's the truth of the matter. It takes money to start a church. It just does. You may hate it. It's a reality. So how can we be part of that? God has blessed us generously, specifically financially. financially. What are we doing with it? We're looking at a couple staff positions this year. One of which is through our newly created residency program which answers the question every church has when someone comes and says, you know what, Pastor Josh or Pastor Joe or Pastor whoever, I feel a call to devote my life to full-time ministry. What do I do? The traditional response is, well, go to seminary. You know that's not in the Bible? Would you believe that? Pawning off church responsibilities is not in the Bible? 
It's our job to disciple people. And so that's what the residency is going to answer, some of these questions. I mean, you feel called to ministry, you feel called to even pastor, you feel called to plant, you feel called to international missions. We're going to walk alongside you and equip you to do just that and discern. And we have, Lord willing, by the end of this month, our new resident coming, moving here from southwest Virginia. His name's Luke. If you don't know what Luke looks like, in a minute he'll be standing right here singing. But you'll get to know him more. And with staff, we're looking for another full-time, first-time ministry position for a way kids director. Because God's blessing that, that family ministry. And so we're starting to search for who is God bringing here to build, come alongside us to pour into families specifically. So be praying for those things. Because this is where God's moving and we're believing him in it. But with all that, we're still focused on everything we do, everything we said, everything we're doing now, tomorrow, next Tuesday, whatever it is, we do out of a love for God, love for others, and ultimately to see disciples made. And so some of you may ask, well, what about church building, right? I get the question. Are we ever going to have a building? Especially our setup team that tirelessly sets up and tears down every single Sunday. When are we going to get a building? Well, I have an answer. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but dirt is very valuable here in the West End. It costs a lot of money. So if you have a building or know someone that does that is tired of it, let us know. Like we're looking and praying and seeking and seeing what God's doing, but at the same time, we do not want to devote 80% of our financial resources so we can have a building of our own. Just don't. We're not opposed to buildings, but we want to be very wise when it comes to everything God has given us to steward well. So be praying about a building. I believe God will provide a building someday. Tomorrow? 20 years from now? I don't know, but we're looking, and we're praying, and we're trusting God in it. But I'm thankful for the place. I'm thankful that we have a place to meet together, but we know the church is in the building. It's us. It's his people. And so going back to the promise of verse 18, just as I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. We've seen it. We know it. And we're going to experience it. Every church has a life cycle. Some, every church will die someday. But until that point for our church, we're continue to press in and see what the Lord does in and through us and trust him in the process. Again, the church isn't something you go to. It's a people you belong to. And so let's continue to press into this movement of God that he's doing in and through what we affectionately call the way church, this faith family. Because this is Jesus' church. And we trust him with everything he's doing and everything he's given us. So what about you? Are you a part of his church? And I'm not talking the way church. We definitely invite you. The first church you need to be involved in is his body of believers. The moment that you place your faith in him alone. Have you answered the question, who is Jesus? Who do you say he is? And if you believe anything else that he is Lord and God and worthy of all your worship and honor and surrender of your life, then you are still stuck in unbelief. The Bible calls you dead in your sins and trespasses and unforgiven. And ultimately, if I can say this with much grace and love as I can muster up, that's your fault. Because God's done everything he possibly could 
to call you and draw you and provide for you to have life and then let you decide. So we pray for unbelief, the hardness of hearts, always. For you specifically, if there's anyone ever, we know when the crowd decides, there's someone who's still stuck in that unbelief. We're praying for you that God draws you to himself. You see this conversation, I'm going to close with this in John 11. Martha, her brother had died, Lazarus. And she says, Jesus, if you had been here, right? If you had been here, this wouldn't happen. If you had been here, we know. And Jesus says this to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And he asked Martha this, do you believe this? And her response, yes, Lord, I believe. My question for you, do you believe this? Because everything else we talk about does not matter until this is resolved. My question for you is, do you believe this? And if I can kindly, lovingly say, if not, why not? You have enough proof. You have enough facts. That's not what's holding you back. Dare I say it's your own pride. I'm asking God just to humble us all. Bring us all just a heart of repentance, knowing that we all still need and we all fall short daily. But then remember the promises that he's given those who believe that for anyone who confess their sins, he is faithful and righteous to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and forgive us our sins. This is a freedom that we walk in, knowing that we're secure in him. I'm going to invite our band to come back up, and we're going to continue to worship, but we're going to provide a, an area for response. This is for all of us to respond, whether for the first time, yes, I finally believe. I'm finally at the point where I see I need a Savior, and Jesus is, in fact, that Savior I've been looking for. I don't know it all. I don't know all the intricacies or the final points of doctrine of salvation, but I know one thing, that somehow, someway, His blood on the cross counted for me. And through simple belief, it's applied to me, and it washes me clean forever. And from that moment of faith, called a son or daughter of God. Maybe for many of us, we come here and finally see, you know what? I have some areas of unbelief. It doesn't mean that God hasn't saved you from your sin, but we struggle sometimes. And so like the dad that comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus says, do you believe? He says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe that's where you stand this morning. God, help my unbelief. That's a great prayer to cry out. Listen, we're going to have a prayer team over here. If for the first time you're coming to faith and you're like, listen, today's the day. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of acting. I'm tired of just trying on my own strength and will. I'm ready to surrender to the faithful love and goodness of Christ. I want that. You pray it right where you are, but we love to pray for you. Maybe you need someone just to pray for you. It's good to pray together because you're dealing with some hard things. And you're not in it alone. Let us pray for you. But more so than anything else, I'm asking you to respond to what God's doing right where you are.
So we're going to pray, and after that we're going to sing. And maybe your response, rightly, is worshiping, singing, arms raised, whatever it looks like. But maybe for some it's sitting and praying and just dealing with what the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart right now. Maybe it's coming over to our prayer team and praying with us. Let's pray over and for you. But respond to what God's doing in this moment because you're not here by accident. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for another day that you've given us the heart beating in our chest and the breath in our lungs. Another day to know you and to be known by you. We thank you for your promises that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you're always with us, that you're unchanging, that you're faithful, that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Father. And we thank you for being with us through any trials, troubles, circumstances, fears, anxieties, faithlessness that we may be experiencing. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you do a work in this place. Refresh hearts, restore souls, reconcile relationships, humble us in areas where we've been prideful, Lord, deal with us in the only way that you can because you know our hearts. You know our thoughts. So I pray that you penetrate our hearts and our minds with the goodness of the gospel, the goodness of your presence, the goodness of your promises. Lord, fill this place with your presence. Help us just to experience you maybe in a new and fresh way right now. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for your faithfulness, and we celebrate you. Father, we thank you. And Lord, we pray this all at the feet, surrendering to Jesus. Jesus as Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.